0: Welcome to the Women in Archaeology podcast, a podcast about for and by women in the field. My name is Chelsea Slaughton and I'll be your host for the episode. On today's episode, we'll be talking about Roe versus Wade, abortion throughout history, and how the new ruling will impact archaeological fieldwork. Filling out the panel today are Emily Long and Kirsten Lopez. Thanks so much for being here, ladies.
1: Good morning. So happy to be here. Same,
2: Same.
0: Yeah, it's
1: always great chatting with you. Likewise, and looking forward to discussing a very important topic, and one that, I mean, in terms of archaeology, we don't discuss a lot, because it is hard to find in the field, but an important topic. And then on top of that, Roe v. Wade. Oof. Oof. Yeah. Lots to talk about there. It's
0: a heavy one. So um, the structure for today's episode is going to be kind of a bit about archaeology and history of um, abortion and birth control. And we'll get into kind of the specifics of Roe versus Wade, both getting it passed as well as its recent repeal, um, and then looking at the impact that's going to have on archaeology. But to, to start us off, um, we're going to talk about what we know, which is Emily just referenced, is not a lot from the archaeological record. Um, there's a, a couple cases that, that come up um, pretty regularly if, if you Google search, but I have a fairly extensive library on archaeology, uh, particularly sex, gender, and bioarchaeology. I look mm-hmm. at bones. Um, I went through my entire collection. And there is only one, ber- one book that mentioned abortion that I have, and that one book is talking about spontaneous abortion in relation to congenital defects, right? Which means that there's something wrong with the way that the baby is is developing. Um, and in terms of spontaneous abortion, it's serious enough to be incompatible with life. Uh, I think is the mm-hmm. phrase they used. But yeah, it's it's a really there's not as much information on it as I would have um, I would have expected. I was I was really surprised when I started going through my books, and I was like,
1: "What?" Well, yeah, and no. I mean, if you think about it, like, what would be the evidence for abortion? And thinking about, it, I mean, it makes sense that we have a lot of evidence for focus on fertility. We see that in a lot of civilizations where we have a lot of gods and goddesses and whatnot that are hyper-focused on fertility and um, protecting mothers during pregnancy, protecting mothers during childbirth, and then different like amulets and whatnot to protect children. And so trying to think about it in terms of the other way around, how does how would they have thought in terms of protecting oneself from becoming pregnant? And the, the evidence in terms of like, you know, little statues and whatnot of gods and goddesses don't really have that in the same sense as we do for fertility pregnancy and whatnot and so it's almost trying to look for the absence of evidence in some respects where it's like okay well what would a woman in that time have done or going into our our friends the historian's their evidence written evidence for abortion and and whatnot so, so it's a very different way of thinking in terms of the archaeological evidence because it is so scant
0: it is and it is also hard to say evidence absence of evidence is an evidence of absence um, yeah. because baby bones are made up of a lot of cartilage like they don't preserve well they're also they're much smaller than adult bones they're very delicate um, so you know they're mistaken for chicken bones <laughs> um, sometimes. And well, that's what uh,
1: full term, like so, a full term um, skeletal remains. So I can't imagine like early, early, early stages too.
0: Yeah, if, if you're talking about a fetus. Um, yeah. Yeah, it just doesn't it doesn't survive the same way. Um, but Kirsten, I think you were going to say something.
2: Yeah, even in looking at like what Emily was saying about like amulets or other sort of would have been referred to as like magical um, artifacts, right? So say things that we look at as fertility, uh, some of that may be because of the lens that has been used in looking mm. at some of those amulets um, or small figurines. I remember when I was in Malta, um, which is in uh, one of the focuses of Gimbutas' um discussions about goddess cultures and looking at some of the artifacts that she bases this obvious very as i'm going to probably reference this a couple of times i'm sure in this very outdated um argument uh, at this point um that there's just it's a stretch that even some of those figurines are female so um there's, it's one of those things that it's like people are looking for and expecting fertility amulets, but what if some of these things aren't that? How, what would that even look like? Like if you were to try and look at the archaeological record for amulets for abortion or for staying, um, you know, not being pregnant or not getting pregnant or, um, you know, anything like that. What would that even look like? Uh, and that is another thing that we're kind of, I'm at a loss for. Um, but, like, one of the things I remember, some of the amulets were for, um, had, uh, like, sexual transmitted disease on them. Like, there were, there were phalluses that were spotted. <laughs> i like, that looks like something yeah. that you might contract. So know, there's that. No, 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 exactly. I'm like, there is some evidence that there may have been some sort of medical magic going on there, but what that would look like as far as, um, yeah, getting rid of an unwanted pregnancy or, um, staying. I don't want to say infertile, but staying not pregnant. I guess family, so it's like, family planning yeah yeah right. the family planning or like if you have like priestesses in something that something happens to and they don't want to have like they want to continue their you know and you can fill in lots of different scenarios but um yeah but
0: i think but the there's a there things oh yeah um, one is that like when people talk about family planning, they think of it as being like a very modern, you know, like 1950s, 1960s onward, access to birth control pills. But it, it's something people have been doing for generations. Um, and I think some of the, the tricky things related to that is one, um, in ancient Roman Greece, from like a historical perspective, there were over 200 um, herbs that were known to, to cause abortion, um, or cause m- miscarriages. They were induced miscarriages. Um, but they're plants.
1: These ones flow. <laughs>
0: yeah. Um, and, and plants don't necessarily preserve particularly well, um, except in very specific, um, situations But there's, there's actually one that the historical texts refer to as silphium. um, also sometimes referred to as laser warts, uh, which is a plant that we're not really sure what genus it was in um, because it was used uh, as a contraceptive. It kept you from getting uh, pregnant and could also potentially cause abortions. It was so valuable that it was considered worth its weight in gold, literally worth its weight in Tenari. But the ancient Romans and the ancient Greeks um, farmed it to extinction. It doesn't exist anymore. Um, So we don't have have an example of it that we can look at and be like, oh, what plant is this related to? Um, One of the the reasons that we have an idea of what it looks like is that it was um, an essential trade item from the ancient North African city of Cyrene, Cyrene, I'm probably pronouncing it incorrectly, C-Y-R-E-N-E, and it was so central to their economy that it was actually printed on the majority of their coins. It was Whoa, This picture wow. this plant that kept people from having babies. Um, it was also apparently used in some seasoning, some perfumes. Um, it's potentially good that it kept you from having babies because it was reportedly also an aphrodisiac. The Romans, the Greeks, um, the Minoans, the Egyptians, um, all make reference to it. Both the Egyptians and the Minoans had a specific um, glyph, right, that represented that plant. It was that common that it needed its own symbol in the written language. Um, mm-hmm. It was in poems. It was in songs. It was all over the place. And interestingly, it was also um, – they thought it was a gift from the god, right? So the ability to control, to control your family it was a gift from the god.
1: Well, that's a fascinating way to think about it, too, that it's not this, because you you would think like, oh, historically, people were like, oh, no, no, no preventing of pregnancy, where it's like, it probably was as common as trying, from what it sounds like, if this plant was that common, then family planning and the concept of preventing
2: pregnancy, etc. is as common, too. There wasn't just like, oh, it's shady. Yeah, if it's that much in the public life. Which makes sense, because especially if you don't have the modern medical care that we have today, like there's a lot of situations where it's like, you know, Susie over here can't conceive or shouldn't give birth um, for various health reasons. And, you know, that person then can continue to be alive. And, you know, there's as far as looking back outside of cultural reasons, like, you know, also the the health benefits that would have been more obvious at, during that time period.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really fascinating example because I mean, you'd think there are a lot of um, like Greek and Roman texts where they condemn women who try not to be pregnant and try not or, and and try to miscarry and whatnot. But at the same time, you also have texts and whatnot, and then this example showing, well. Just because we have these texts that, like, these old white dudes, essentially, were just like, oh, no, we are philosophers who are mad at women who don't wish to be pregnant. Well, that doesn't necessarily mean that was the complete social, um, what is the word I'm like, like, that wasn't necessarily the dominant thought process of the day. And even if it were, there's still, I mean, if we have the men's world, women's world of Roman and Greek society... Well, let's say in the women's sphere, they'll have this separate knowledge in many respects on, you know, it's like, hey, I'm trying to think, Agrippina, I have this cool herb that you might want to check out. And it's like, well, thanks, Caesarea. I appreciate yeah. you telling me about that herb.
0: Well, And I mean, it. it's also interesting because... Um, like Aristotle and Socrates, like who, who even today are regarded, regarded as great thinkers, like Aristotle um, said, when a, couples have children in excess, let uh, abortion be procured before sense and life have begun. Um, and noticeably mm-hmm. for them, sense and life was um, when the child started moving within That's the, the womb, which can be anywhere from between 16 to 25 weeks. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, also referred to as the quickening Um But Socrates goes on to say that if your attempts to abort the baby don't work once it's born, treat it as if there isn't enough food for it or abandon it on the side of a hill. So like if those are your options um, and and birth is is dangerous today, it was dangerous then. It was potentially much safer to abort a child than give birth to it and then leave it on a hillside
2: yeah or figure out yeah well and there's how many countless like fairy tales where that is the sort of mode of whatever happened to random kid that had a prophecy about its birth it's like this birth you know the the birth of this baby will bring the demise of the kingdom oh well just go leave it on the side of the hill and wolves will get it (laughs) And then, of the, course, the poet like, goes to leave. And like, I can't do this. I'm going to go and, like, give it to someone to raise. Like, I, when Zaid was growing up, I read lots and lots of folklore and fairy tales. And there were just so many in that <laughs> vein. Um, nah. Yeah, hi. Huh? That it's just kind of like, was this a, a, that common of a practice? Like, nah. that sounds... Mm-hmm awful really or is it just that that's what was supposed to be done so everyone's like dear god oh, yeah. can you imagine we're gonna put this in this cautionary fairy tale you have not
1: play It it's almost yeah, like I mean, it, what is the more humane thing if you're thinking at that time in that time frame but if we even like fast forward hundreds to thousands of years we still have the same concerns you know How am I going to feed this child, especially if you have other children? How am I going to support this family? Um, Or you just don't want to be pregnant. And that's okay. And that is okay. We want to make that very clear that it's like, it's okay if you don't want to have a kid. Um, But it's, it's it's interesting that the same concerns that we have historically in ancient times, we still have the same concerns today. And the fact that we have these safe medical options that are now being restricted, it just we're going to have people turning to these potentially fatal um, recipes, herbs and whatnot from historic periods, because there's Penny Royal, there's all these different types of herbs that are noted historically. Well, if people are trying to use them today, those can be potentially deadly because even then people could have died and did die from attempted abortions um, using herbs or using instruments because they were desperate. And it's just, I don't know if I'm, I'm phrasing this,
0: well i mean i think you are it's also like noticeable um abortion historically was was dangerous um because some of the things that cause abortions can also kill you Mm -hmm. um but but it's really interesting when you look at some of the the laws um in greece and rome when you look at medieval laws that talk about abortion because there, there were some laws on the books that talked about abortion, but it was mm-hmm. never about the life of the fetus or the sanctity of life. It was if you were married and your husband desperately wanted the child and you got an abortion, you could get punished for that because it was both parents who had to make the decision. Right. Mm-hmm. So you could be, um, you could be punished for that. um. also had to do with compensation so if you punched a pregnant lady and she lost the baby you had to pay um a fine essentially Mm -hmm. to the family for the potential loss of a future worker or someone who could take care of them into their old age um Mm -hmm. but if you hurt a woman who miscarried and then later died um you could be killed right so the Mm -hmm. The punishments for a miscarriage, like it was significantly m- more egregious if you caused a miscarriage that hurt the mom um, or the woman than if you caused a miscarriage where it was just a miscarriage, um, which isn't a re- isn't really abortion. Um, but then you get into the question of like, there's some texts that talk about um, you can take you can take a pill um, to mm-hmm. cause an abortion, but there are also texts that talk about. Essentially, if you beat someone bad enough, they uh, can abort because the, the body needs to focus on um, surviving. But then there are also like surgical um, interventions that they talk about anything from when the, the woman is earlier on in her pregnancy through to the woman is in labor, the baby is distressed, the mother is distressed it is very likely that at least one of them is going to die. And the medical advice at the time was to essentially stick a knife up the woman's vagina and separate the arms and the legs from the baby so that it could be removed. So the, so the woman's life would be saved. So all of the laws and things that were there were about protecting women. Um, It wasn't about whether or not the baby deserved to be alive. Which is very different from an that we're having. Wow. Yeah. yeah, I realize that's gruesome yeah. apologies. Yeah. Um, and and I mean, it's,
1: it's interesting to think about then that there are religious texts as well that talk about the health of the mother and protecting the health of the mother's life as opposed and like protecting the mother's life as opposed to what we're looking at today. It's more of a morality issue and they say well historically speaking it's like actually historically speaking if it was the health of the mother and all these things like abortion was considered acceptable so it's just we have to be very careful in our use of history
2: as yes um yeah and i mean just like today i mean and people i think forget this or don't i don't know um is that there is a higher likelihood of the infant not being able to make it, um, especially if there's complications during birth than mother. And then there's always the chance that the mother could become pregnant again and try again, Um, especially historically, you know, what are the survival rates for children for fairly low, right? Um, so it was always better to be able to try again um, if people were wanting to have children uh, than to try f- for the survival of this one kid. Um, mm-hmm. And that's making kind of broad stroke is you know, generalizations, but that's also, you know, it makes sense. Um, if you're looking at today and the, the the argument of, you know. There is a really interesting example of
1: abortion in the archaeological record as opposed to us, uh, then us just discussing historical records and whatnot. And I figured maybe we could discuss that on the next segment.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think that's a really good idea because we have gone slightly over, but in the next segment we'll come, um, we have talked kind of history, um, prehistory, a bit of the medieval um but We'll come talk, come back and talk a little bit about the 18th and 19th centuries and some of the archaeological examples of abortion that we have um, and the transition towards a abortion as a moral and ethical issue in Roe versus Wade in the next section. So we'll see you after the break.
1: Did you know that we have a blog? Check out the Women in Archaeology website for a variety of blog posts, as well as past episodes. Interested in supporting the podcast? From the website, you can check out our Patreon account and learn about the different ways to help support the blog and podcast. We can give you a cool sticker in
0: return. Again, thank you for listening. Hi, and welcome back to the Women in Archaeology podcast. So far on today's episode, we have been discussion discussing abortion in the historical periods, um, more kind of Greece, Roman- <laughs> Um, middle ages we're going to move on to some more recent um, cases Emily had mentioned before the break a a couple cases they're actually of, of babies who were found in privies in the 18th and 19th century and Emily do you want to take it away
1: Sure. So one thing to note about um, the 18th and 19th centuries is that there was, especially in the 19th century, a huge spur of patent medicine. And a lot of these patent medicines, what we would call today snake oil. Um, they did do a lot of good, but there were some that um, were specifically geared towards women for menstruation to help with a woman's, he- uh, men- uh, it was like, help with your flow, and that kind of thing. And what's interesting, a lot of them in their newspaper articles, um, like in the advertisements and stuff for these types of medicines, they do not take if you're pregnant. And in many respects, that's a giant wink being like, you don't wanna take this if you're pregnant because it'll start your period, wink, type of thing. And so finding um, this type of patent medicine in a privy with a, um, a, a with a fetus k- links together, um, it's highly likely that this fetus was aborted by using that medicine. Um, granted, we don't know 100% sure, we can't say like, yes, this is exactly what happened, but it's possible that we see an archeological record in this case, I believe in New York in an outhouse mm-hmm. um, that we have both the medicine that would have been used to um, induce a, a period essentially or try to start one's flow um, and then also the bones. And they were initially mistaken for animal bones because as Chelsea said, these are very tiny, they're very fragile. And um, later studies showed that these were the bones of, was it it was a,
0: it was a thirty to thirty-two week, um, fetus, and it, it is mm-hmm. worth noting that at this point, um, people didn't ex- really think that pregnancy existed until quickening, which, as I said in the last section, was between sixteen to twenty-five weeks. But once the quickening had occurred, unless there was kind of grave danger to the woman's life. Um, abortion was highly frowned on to illegal, depending on where you were in the U.S. So, so at thirty that's to thirty-two weeks, um, we would consider it a late-term abortion today, um, I believe, because that's uh, what, six months, six and a half months. I can do math: thirty-two divided by four. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> today's
1: still very young still creamy but hypothetically viable in today's standards but not great yeah
2: yeah and so, some of that also no. depends on the health of you know all of that so there's a lot of situations people need to keep in mind with this case is there's a lot of situations where that would not have been viable or would not have been exactly because you it, know
1: yeah. In that time period, there's just no way there was no at the time at that time, there, um incubators had not been invented yet, we didn't have the medicine, et cetera. But the unique thing about this case is here we have relatively good evidence that here we have both the bones and a type of medicine that could um, induce a miscarriage, um, that type of thing. And again, with this patent medicine, it's very interesting that, yeah, you have these situations where it's like, do not take this. Otherwise, this could happen. And so there were medicines out there. They weren't um, advertised as abortion meds, but they could be used as such. Not necessarily that they were safe, but they could be used as such. Um, because at the time as well, if we're thinking about um, historic concep- or, um, birth control, um, contraceptives, they're not great. Um, There weren't that many great options. There were um, probably, I don't know if I'm saying this, pessaries um, that could be uh, stuck up the vagina that would be like cotton, wax, that kind of thing. There's recipes for that all the way back. Lemons
0: the size Uh, of a thumb. That's one of the fun ones I like, is if you cut a lemon the size of your thumb in half and put it in your vagina, you will not get pregnant. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and then
1: um and then douches uh were a big thing yes. and then this is not medical um,
0: advice <laughs> no
1: god no and then there were a type of condom but and they were made of sheepskin um type of thing or yeah sheepskin um intestine, intestine. that type of stuff and yeah that great so again so at the end of the day it's like that? yeah there was a awesome. contraceptive but they weren't great. So it's also understandable that then you would have these types of medicines and whatnot that were like, wink, wink, start your period if if you're trying to have family planning. So options weren't great at that time. So I think there should be a lot of thought on that as well.
0: No, op- options weren't great. I think the other thing that's really interesting about this, this particular case, um, and it's been pointed out that at this time if someone did have a spontaneous miscarriage at roughly seven months along, six and a half months, um, that child probably would have been buried in a churchyard, even if they didn't survive. Um, So the fact that it was put in a privy, um, the fact that, I shouldn't say child, that fetus would have been buried. Um, The fact that the fetus ended up in a privy was another indication that this was maybe not um, something that was spontaneous. Um, yeah. But there's a lot of talk when you, when people talk about abortions at the time of, oh, well the, it would have been brothels and prostitutes. And there are certainly um, a couple of the other examples that we have of fetuses being found in, in privies uh, do come from areas that, Roughly around the same time frame um, had brothels or saloons in them, um, but it's also worth noting that the stratigraphy on these sites isn't great. So sometimes it is like, oh, well, within twenty years there was a brothel here, so maybe um, kind of thing. But but this particular um, privy uh, was that was in New York was in the household of a married uh, couple who already had three children. Uh, and the stratigraphy on this particular privy is, is very good. So they can link that particular fetus to this family. Um, the woman never had another baby afterwards. But it wasn't just, you know, there's kind of this like fear-mongering oh, it, and, and like slut-shaming of like, oh, it's the prostitutes. Oh, yeah. Um but in actuality, all of these um, medicines um, to help with your flow, a lot of them were being geared at white Protestant middle class families. So this wasn't, you know, this this wasn't about women making bad decisions, quote unquote. Um, I firmly am in the camp of, you know, pro-choice.
1: If our listeners haven't figured that out already, (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
0: Um, you know, the language around it is a bit. um, I don't necessarily love some of that, like very, like moralizing. You know, like women should have
1: to soil the old west for using the abortion meds. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Um. You know, but these these may have also been choices that were taken uh, jointly um, with, you know, a husband and a and a partner. Um, it it was somewhat acceptable family planning um, that was essentially available if you could pay for it, which isn't too different from from a lot of what we see today and that like even in states that have abortion bans, if you have enough money, you can go to another state, um, or another country. Um, you know, That's so very- I, I just, yeah, it's really important to note that, that this particular case was a, you know, quote, quote unquote nuclear family, um, that you're, that you're looking at. And it, you know, there are women today who have abortions because they're married they enjoy their sexual life with their uh partner they already have some kids and they realize that they can't afford anymore Mm -hmm.
1: and we have to keep in mind too at the at that time there probably weren't a lot of options for women to to have reproductive freedom um like there weren't laws on the books until what was it, like post 1950s in terms of like, there was no such thing as marital rape. Um, yeah. A woman really didn't have the right to say no um, to, obviously we're not saying that she doesn't at that time.
0: Um, Women should always have the right to say no, but legally there was no recourse if they said no.
1: Exactly. And then culturally speaking, there's that, Old saying, like lie back and think of England um, Mm -hmm. type of
0: situation. And unfortunately, there's that kind of attitude at that time. Um, But for all that we we talk about, oh, maybe women didn't have access to family planning or it wasn't so much an an option, Um, based on what's in kind of historical documents, there's also things. There's some scholars who've actually looked at it and think that as many as one in five pregnancies could have resulted in an induced abortion that's 20 percent um i think the the number today is something like 11.4 abortions out of every thousand pregnancies like
1: so the rate is definitely much much lower with with having access to safe um, abortions and so maybe it kind of goes back to I was saying earlier, it's like you have that knowledge in the kind of like the quote unquote women's sphere with midwives and whatnot, where it's just like, Oh yes, this one herb will make you feel so much better type of thing, mm-hmm. where there is this knowledge, there is this family planning, but it wasn't there yet you have this overarching like, Oh yes, this is bad and then in the newspapers it says this, and you have the Comstock Law that um makes abortion illegal and all these things. It's still happening. It was still going on. It was just in a different yeah. sphere in many ways. Yeah.
0: Um, so, I mean, how we got from kind of the, you know, the, the 18th and early 19th centuries where various um, laws, um, I mean, I realize we're talking mostly about England here, but there was an early, early anti-abortion law in 1803 in England. Um, where they actually made abortion illegal because there were so many unscrupulous people practicing it that they were trying to save women's lives because women kept dying. Um, Mm. Again, nothing in that law about protecting the the fetus. Um, And then they realized that it was actually doing more harm than good. So uh, 30 or so years later, they passed another law saying that it was allowed to protect the the woman, but they made protecting the woman and making sure that she survived um, kind of the heart of that that new law. Um, but this is all, um, kind of in the, in the 1800s and there were two things that have been identified as, as really driving it. One of them is in 1869, Pope Pius, the ninth, um, made a declaration that ensoulment began at conception, not at quickening. So prior to 1869, the Catholic church said, you're, no fetus has a soul in it until quickening, which, again, is between 16 and 25 weeks, um, generally. And um, you could be excommunicated if you had an abortion. So there there does become this kind of religious push from the, from the Catholic Church who don't like abortion. Um, but again, that's just over 150 years old. Um, And the other thing is you start to see in newspapers and things uh, a lot of male medical practitioners publishing op-eds talking about how abortion isn't safe or it's not moral or it's not ethical. But when you look at what else is going on at that time period, those same male medical practitioners were trying to, um, you know, redefine themselves as a a more respectful um, group of people, a, a better, you know, career yeah, or profession yeah. to have um, that, you know, oh, look, science is great. We can do these amazing things. You know, they also were kind of going after surgeons because surgeons and doctors were not necessarily the same at that point in time. Um, so it was, it was really about attacking what I'm going to say, quote, unquote, non-medical practitioners. And at this point, women couldn't go to medical school, but it was it was mostly midwives um, who helped with abortions and family planning and um, giving birth. And and basically you have these male doctors who are like, no, but I want to be the authority. Um, I don't want competition. I want to be able to have a better business. I need more customers. How do I get more customers? And it's by disparaging um other other practitioners so like even even their push against abortion was not ethical or moral it was about money
1: oh yeah right they wanted more
0: customers
1: too. like post civil war you have all this um ridiculous uh, this crazy loss of life after the american civil war and you have women in unique positions that they weren't in before. And so I think there was also a fear of female empowerment. And so that kind of goes on top of like, here you have more women starting to actually enter the medical field. I think like, isn't it the late, is it the 1870s or 1880s where women actually start being able to go to medical school in some some states? I mean, it's very, 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 very limited. Um, so there's like a fear of empowerment. And then on top of that, we have a uh, fear of, um, oh gosh, I know there's the term in, in one of the articles we read where it's a uh, fear of, like, the white race being um, overtaken
0: by oh yeah. There especially. were a lot of very, like, racist overtones going on about um, whether or not you know, white people would become the Moray. It is bad. Um, bad. So it's like you have all of these
1: elements stacking on top of each other, and then, again, not necessarily religion or morality. It's it's fear, and yeah. and fear and money. And, uh, and when you're looking um, at some of this, there is a fear that if you know white, upper class, middle class Protestant women limit the amount of babies they're having well then that means immigrant classes um the um newly emancipated um slaves and so on and so on would then um be the dominant population and therefore must have more white pure babies and all all of that um well, yeah, there was yeah. that type of fear going on as
0: well really important to read um some of the sure some of the yeah op-eds and the things that were that were going on at the moment. And if a woman was married to a soldier and the soldier died and all of a sudden you've got a bunch of widows who have estates and can make their own decisions. Um you know can't can't have that. Heaven forbid stupid sexism. Um oh, yeah.
1: and what's interesting you see these attitudes today they're just called something different but it's still that like um fear of the white race being overshadowed type of ridiculousness that is during um that historic period that a lot of books and whatnot that um Adolf Hitler read and said, well, that looks like a great idea and wanted to have, you know, his pure Aryan race. And you see the eugenics movement, um, the forced sterilization.
0: Got a lot of ideas from the U.S.
1: Yeah. And, And surprisingly enough, even Theodore Roosevelt, who is considered, you know, like, ooh, he's one of our favorite historic presidents with his, you know, talk loudly with a big stick or talk softly. People
0: call him Teddy. Teddy. He was
1: super into the eugenics movement and making sure that white Protestant women um, had lots of babies because of fear. So there's a lot of scary and sad and stuff coming out of this historic period, but it all feeds into what we see today with the overturn of the Roe v. Wade um, uh, case And so when we see people like the court and whatnot using history as their way to say, well, no, historically speaking, you wouldn't have abortion. Well, we need to actually look at the history where it's like, well, no, women were still seeking abortions. It wasn't focused on like morality or ethics. Um, A lot of cases were still allowed for having abortion. And a lot of this is focused on eugenics, fear of female empowerment and fear of immigrants and whatnot.
0: Yeah. Um, so unfortunately, by the, the kind of late 1800s, you are looking at abortion being illegal in most places in the US. Mm-hmm. Um, you make an excellent point about the Supreme Court and the and overturning this going and being like, well, historically, like, I mean, historically, when, you know, historically, 100 years ago? Sure. Historically, 200 years ago? No. Um, so yeah, in the, in the recent decision, the courts were definitely cherry picking like where in history they wanted to be looking, um, both from a, what actually happened in history perspective, but also from a, from a legal perspective, there's some arguments that, you know, like abortion wasn't protected in the constitution, which is, which it's not. Um, but there's an argument on the other side that at the time abortion was allowed, both under common and civil law, um, which are the two types of laws in the US. Louisiana is civil, the rest of the US is common. Um, but it's possible that the Founding Fathers wouldn't have thought that it needed to be protected because it was covered in the the two other kind of law systems that were running. Um, that does, however, bring us to the end of our second session. So we'll head to break and... Um, When we come back, we will discuss a bit more about um, Roe vs. Wade, it's being overturned, and what that means for the field of archaeology. See you after the break!
1: Looking for other archaeology podcasts? There are so many to choose from! Why not try Arche fantasies and bust myths surrounding ancient finds and people? Or learn about the study of animal bones and Arche animals? There's also the great Go Dig a Hole and the Ark and ANTH podcasts. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the Women in Archaeology podcast and all of these fun archaeology podcasts that are
0: available on iTunes, Spotify, all over the place. Thanks for listening. Hi, and welcome back to the Women in Archaeology podcast. So far on today's episode, we have talked a bit about what abortion was like um, historically, as well as how we ended up with abortion becoming illegal in the US. Just as a a quick recap, um, abortion was made illegal in most of the US at the end of the 19th century um, and remained so until 1973 with um, the Supreme Court decision, Roe versus Wade, which guaranteed a woman the right to have an abortion And I believe it was based on privacy, um, ruling rather than than bodily autonomy, which became a problem when things got overturned. Um, So if you're listening to this, you probably know that recently the Supreme Court has overturned the right to abortion, basically arguing that the Constitution doesn't guarantee the right to privacy, which is a problem because the right to birth control and gay marriage and interracial marriage, um, and several other big important cases are based on the right to privacy. So if the right to privacy doesn't exist, um, I think there's some valid concerns about, about where the dominoes may fall. Um, Mm -hmm. and this is obviously having, having massive impacts on people's lives across the U S um, oh yeah, You know, women who thought they were going to be able to get abortions and then haven't been able to medical professionals who um, are concerned about scheduling um, abortions or providing the, the morning after pill, even um, because they're worried that if the laws in their states change, the laws might, you know, even, hey, we're changing it in January 1st, 2023. But we're going to say that if you've done this since Roe versus Wade was overturned, it's illegal because you should have known the law was going to change, um, which is dumb. Uh, but I also wouldn't put it past a lot of the Republican um, <laughs> Senates and state Congresses. So, you know, I get the fear. Yeah. Um, and and it's a, like super
1: confusing then also well, then what is allowed and what isn't allowed by th- each state? Because like like you said, it's like, well, the morning after pill, It and we should be very clear, it does not cause an abortion. It prevents conception. So if yes. you take the pill and you're already pregnant, it's not going to abort the fetus. It only prevents to conception. Things. Yeah. And so that's, that's a whole other thing. Um, but... Um, there's a lot of confusing aspects of overturning um, the case in, in many, many ways. And as Chelsea said, that it, the, the case was that the Constitution doesn't um, provide the right to privacy in terms of abortion. However, the 14th Amendment, where it says we have the right to privacy, shows that it doesn't matter if it's in the Constitution because we have these amazing thing called amendments. Mm -hmm. we can amend things and show that there are things in the constitution that were not originally allowed and that as history and you know time progresses we amend things because things change and so it's just it's very frustrating that we're we're being i don't even i We're going backwards in many respects and not even backwards in terms of historically speaking, because historically speaking, depending, I mean, how far we go back, abortions are allowed. And then if we're going religiously speaking, a lot of religions say abortions are allowed because of health of the mother. And so it's just kind of like, where is this court going? Because you can, like, like you said earlier with the cherry picking,
0: it just, it, You can go in many, many, many directions with this. I mean, I'll I'll also say, um, and it comes to like an an important point that I think it's worth stressing. um, Four of the justices who ruled on this decision were appointed by presidents who lost the popular vote. Um, Because of the way that the electoral politics work in the U.S., it is possible to win um, the electoral college and lose the popular vote. It's happened twice. Um, and um, it was Bush and Trump, four of the justices um, all who decided on this did not were not appointed by a president who had the confidence of the majority of the citizens of the United States. Um, and I think that there is kind of a perception that, like, abortion is, like, this big contentious issue in the U.S., and it is, but a May 2021 report by Gallup found that 80% of Americans believe in the right to abortion universally or almost universally, right? That is a stonking majority. Um, You know, so it's not a, oh, 50, 50, 49, 51%. Is this right? Is this wrong? Like We're talking about a relatively small number of people in the U.S. who are anti-abortion, and they happen to have a lot of political power, um, and they are forcing their beliefs on the rest of the country. Um, Now some of the the country is standing up. There was recently um, a primary in Kansas where the Republican legislature put a, an abortion amendment on the ballot, kind of banking on the fact that primaries generally have low turnout and that they generally have a more conservative turnout to get it through. Um, and people in Kansas were like, absolutely not go away. <laughs> not approve this. Um, and I'm really hoping that, you know, yeah. Yay, Kansas, go Kansas. Um, but I'm really, really hoping that like, citizens in other states continue to this trend of like showing up um, not just for the general election every four years, the presidential election, but you know, you show up for the primaries, you show up for the local elections because there are definitely going to be, you know, state legislatures that try and get through um, by not, not picking the most popular, uh, you know, or the most well-attended particular voting, Mm -hmm. um, Voting section. But I think this is also going to have an impact on archaeology, um, which, I, you know, we are the Women in Archaeology podcast. We should probably talk a little bit about what impact that's going to have. Um, you know, I, I personally will say I think that there's going to be a, a talent drain. And I think that there's firms that potentially are in pro abortion states, um, you know, pro right to choose states um, that might work across state lines who might find it difficult to get women who are willing to work on surveys in other states because, you know, what happens if you're early on in your pregnancy and you have a miscarriage? What happens if you need care? Um, Mm -hmm. You know, we know, we can see our previous episodes um, on this topic that sexual harassment and sexual assaults can be a problem uh is a problem in archaeology how do you get care after that um you know there's there've been some stories floating around of women who've had to go to three or four different pharmacies to get their birth control right just like your standard take every day don't get pregnant birth control um so what are really you really good be point still? because
1: Let's say, like, like you said, you're on a survey, you don't live in that state. So let's say I wanna, I, I live in Colorado and I wanna go to Wyoming and I need a refill. Something so simple and ubiquitous as that the pharmacist has the right in a lot of states, and I've just picked Wyoming, I'm not sure about Wyoming um, uh, situation right now for pharmacists, but a lot of states now, pharmacists can deny access to birth control because of their religious beliefs. And that is
2: deeply problematic. I did not know that. That is deeply problematic.
0: Wow. So here's the thing. Freedom of religion means that you can practice your religion in whatever way you want as it pertains to you. It does not mean that you can force your religion on someone else. And if anyone needs to hear that again, freedom of religion does not mean (laughs) that you can force your religion on anyone else. I like that. Despite any argument that part of the religion
2: is to proselytize and spread your religion to others, that means you can ask. That doesn't mean you can force. You can yeah. advertise. You
0: can discuss.
2: It is not forcing. Consent and this whole forcing.
0: Consent. consent. Consent is important across the board. Um, all. All Consent message. is beautiful. Yes. Yes, into uh, sexy. Have more of it, so sexy. <laughs> it should always be present. Um, yeah, you know. So, so I think there are going to be the short-term in, impacts, which could turn into long-term impacts of you know women not wanting to move to states to take jobs, and we we know that the field of archaeology is overrepresented by males and overrepresented by white people, particularly in the higher up positions. Um, You know, some of the surveys show that you're, you're like, just coming into the field. Um, And certainly people who are graduating with degrees are more women than men. Um, We don't have good data on transgender and non-binary individuals. I'm sorry for not including that in, in the statistics that I'm talking about, but we do know that they are also part of the, archaeology community. Um, But, you know, how how much is this going to set us back in terms of women being able to be PIs, you know, being able to run projects, being able to have their own businesses or work in certain areas, um, you know, and then you get, you know, just like an echo chamber of Perspective and knowledge rather than like diversity of thought, which brings new insights and understandings. Um, so, I mean, it, it's going to impact short term who's working where, it's going to impact the long term what's going on with um, your gender and diversity numbers um, within archaeology, what opportunities are available to people, and it's going to reduce. Uh, and have a negative impact on the level of interpretation. Um, and obviously yeah. the impact on people is more important than the impact on, you know, how we're, in, how we're interpreting the the past. Um, but it bears mentioning.
1: I mean, you're showing this stuff doesn't happen in a vacuum and it's, it, it is going to have a domino effect in many respects because, you know, lack of access to, um, this type of healthcare, I mean, with Planned Parenthood, it's not just abortions, it's family planning, it's healthcare, it's birth control, it's all sorts of things. So this will overturn that. And then there, I know there are concerns about um, uh, gay marriage, there are concerns about voting, there are concerns about um, a variety of rights that this could then change. And then this also shows like a cultural shift as well, potentially in a lot of these states. So I think like you're saying, it's it's going to not necessarily make it as welcoming of an environment, um, potentially for people to want to work and live in some of these areas. Well, it's it could be compounded by the fact that this is probably going to be followed by other attempts to turn over other rights. Yeah. Um, and and, and this, these
0: are some of the
2: things, that we're seeing in other fields already. Uh, my husband's a nurse and that's one of the things that they started seeing with, um, it, it was one of the impacts from COVID, um, but is also a similar effect is happening after Roe v. Wade where you have, it, you know, nursing being a majority um, female or feminine um, field You have hospitals in rural areas. You have hospitals in conservative areas that are having a really hard time finding staff. Um, With a lot of the COVID deniers, people were leaving because it's like, I'm trying to help you, but you're spitting in my face. Like it's, there's no reason for me to stay. And I feel like with archeology, span like you guys are saying, you're going to see a lot of people not wanting to go into these remote areas to do large projects. Um, and that you're going to end up in something that, um, you know, we'll start seeing as mostly male crews instead of mostly female crews. I think, you know, Chelsea already gave some statistics on how many women are in the field and it's substantial. And, you know, the, the talent drain is a, is a real concern. Um, like, you know, it was mentioned, but it's something that, it's not just theoretical, it's something that's that's happening in other fields and it's not going to take long for that to to really um, be visible I think.
0: Yeah I mean archaeology is, is so important for telling the history of a place for connecting people to that place and I think that there is the potential for You know, it's also something that, like, there's always a, like, do we really need archaeology? What is all of this red tape? It's slowing down the construction process. It's making it more expensive. And, like, particularly in in places where you might start to have trouble attracting talent, um, do you get to a point where lots of projects get delayed because they can't get enough people in, and then the government decides that they're just going to step in with a a waiver or something, and then you end up with, with this history and this heritage that gets... Destroyed um, because there was no one there to record it. Um, you know, and, and like you said, Kirsten, there are you know other industries that are starting to to feel the heat. I also like to be positive. Um, Google, who has offices in twenty-five or thirty different U.S. states, um, put out a blanket statement to their HR team. Um, that anyone who wanted to relocate to a state that didn't have um, anti-abortion laws on the books should just be approved. Like, mm-hmm. just let them go. There are actually um,
1: a, a number of companies that then they've expanded their health coverage that they will help um, pay and provide access for, or not provide yeah, the exporting like just help. Yeah, exporting like goods. Amazon, Lyft, um, Citigroup. Uh, Huntington bank, uh, there's all tons of companies that have been very explicit that like we will support our, um, employees who need access to an abortion, but cannot get it in this state.
0: But access shouldn't be dependent on where you live or who your employer is, because there are people who don't have that choice, you know? very
1: glad you bring that up because that, um, that can bring us quite a bit to Well, how can you help dear listeners? How yeah. can you help? And there are a number of organizations that, um, are going want to help women in situations where they may not work for a company that helps with that type of thing. They're live in a state and they can't afford to go elsewhere, um, to get the abortion. Um, there's the Bridget Alliance, and we can provide links to a lot of these, um, that, uh, will help, um, People or help women um, get abortion care by providing the um, funds, the arrangements for everything, you know, they create the quote unquote abortion itinerary and help coordinate everything from accommodations to travel to child care, um, that type of thing. And then there are state specific state um options uh, or in organizations called like Women Have Options Ohio who do the same thing because like in Ohio now abortion is you cannot get access to one so they will help you go elsewhere to find um, and procure an abortion but also fund everything to go with that the hotel the travel and so forth so there are organizations out there that um, if you have the money to do so it'd be great donate funding, or if you or, you know, people who need that help, there are these organizations that can help you.
0: Yeah. I mean, the other thing, and I, I know I harp on it, um, and I know that there are people who are um, discouraged by by the system and certainly, like, the electoral politics in the U.S., as I've pointed out, um, is not a popular vote, but but do go vote, you know. Um, show up for your primary, show up for your local elections, yes. win you know generally Republican uh, controlled state legislatures are gonna try and try and you know slide things in without people without people noticing or hoping to not have too much too much pushback like push back, show up, tell your mm-hmm. elected representatives that like they're not representing you vote them out on a national level <laughs> um, support term limits for Supreme Court justices so that we cannot get into the current, Conundrum that we're in. Support expanding the Supreme Court. It wasn't always non justices. It does not need to be non justices. Um, sixteen yeah. justices. Whatever. Right. I think. It, I think it always has to be an odd number so that there's a. T- tie. <laughs> right. Um, you know, no, no ties. Um, I don't think. Um, you know, but advocate for change. Um, you know so that that protection is is there help each other out be kind it's a hard it's a hard time for sure if kansas can do it so can you <laughs> exactly
2: <laughs> all these systems are malleable that's the the benefit of the u.s system that's the part of the point is that we can change it as needed and it has been you know, there's some idea that some people have that it's, like, immutable and, you know, is to be worshipped. But, like Emily was saying, there's, you know, amendments for a reason. And, you know, let's do what we can.
0: Yeah, it's, you know, certainly going malleable in a, in a direction that 80% of the population in the U.S. does not agree with. Um, I would yes. say potentially the one unmalleable bit of democracy is that it should represent the will of the people, um, and it seems pretty clear to me that the will of the people is that abortions should be legal. Um, you know, so do what you can to to make that your voice heard. Um, that does Cause... bring us to the end of
1: yeah. Oh, sorry. No, I was just gonna say, by outlawing abortions, doesn't stop abortions. They're gonna still happen. That just makes it unsafe.
0: Yeah, um, way more dangerous. Also, like for the love of whatever it is you believe in, sex ed, right? States that have good comprehensive sex ed time and time again have been shown to have lower abortion rates. Abstinence-only education does not work. It leads to unwanted pregnancies. It leads to abortions. It leads to medically risky behavior like sex ed. Um, (laughs) We are now at the end of our, our episode, though. (laughs) thank you to everyone so much for sticking with us we know that this was a heavy topic so we really appreciate you listening um as always we hope you liked the show we love hearing back from you so if you have thoughts feel free to drop them in the comment section on our website www.womeninarchaeology.com i don't know if that was three or four w's um apologies it was four it's only three Um, You can also reach out to us on Twitter at WomenArchies or email us at Archaeology at gmail.com. And if you would like to support what we're doing, we always appreciate a like, subscribe, or follow. Um, And if you do have some money to throw at us, we do have a Patreon. um, But I'm also going to say if you've got some money to throw at a group and support it, it should probably be one that's supporting women's rights. Um, Agreed. We'll get by without it. Other people might not. So um, go donate to Planned Parenthood <laughs> um, or whatever other group is providing support. Thanks so much, and we'll see you on the next episode. Bye. Bye. Bye.